Hello everyone, my name is Porfirio Gutierrez. Sakchi Zatayutu. I am a Zapotec textile artist and natural dyer, born and raised in Oaxaca, Mexico, in Teotitlan del Valle, but my studio is in Ventura in California. Welcome to Cut the Craft. Hi. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, oh Porfirio, man. we're so happy to have you. No, thank thank you guys for reaching out and for being patient. Oh. With me as well. Oh man. I think the pleasure's all ours. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with Porfirio. Uh Porfirio, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, um, so for someone unfamiliar with textiles and weaving and dyeing, can you describe what you make? And then maybe for those who are textile artists already, what's your specialty within textiles? I am a, as I mentioned earlier, Zapotec textile artist. And I work with natural dyes, plants, insects, fruit to create colors. Mm. I create uh, functional art, uh, tapestries, wall hangings, and also uh, other type of work that is used maybe for centerpieces or uh, as, as a uh, rugs. And when you think about, or when, when we're talking about a cultural context, um, it's, it was never a rug to begin with. Uh, these mm. were blankets. Mm. And also uh, wearing garments like a uh, poncho, as mm. well as an enredo or skirt for mm. women. Um, the market that we know of today, and especially the tourist market, um, it sort of have dictated what these garment could be used today or what these weaving could be used. And this happened late 60s, early 70s. And people discover our area in Teotitlan, in Oaxaca, and um, decided that this would be great for rugs. Hmm. Wow. So that that was something that was just kind of put on them, where they're like, oh, yeah, that's a rug now. Absolutely. No, these, these are the, the evolution, I believe. This is the uh, how the cultures continue to move forward and be relevant today. And uh, and for me, I no, never really look at my work as rugs, although they're functional art. Mm. But to mm. me, more rug, it's more of a defin- diminish diminishes what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, there are it is uh, it expresses up a, such a deep history, and uh, and such a complex <clears throat> of working with natural dye, and uh, it, it, within one piece, and so so much knowledge and wisdom that have been developing for thousands of years. And of course, not to mention other parts of the world where uh, the rugs are uh, something extremely expensive and very special that equally nestles or um, has this kind of knowledge. But for me, because my tradition was never used as rug, uh, the reference for it, it was more of a textile. Mm. Wow. Okay. Uh, so Porfirio, how did you start? How did you get into weaving and and dyeing? Yes, I know we're talking more of uh, of my work as a textile artist, but it is important for me to mention that uh, before um, being a weaver or dyer, because that is a, an automatic gift, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a family of musicians. I come from a family of ceremonial dancers and maestros of these dancers, meaning uh, there has been two um, master um, dancers, if, if that will be, they, that's the word. And I don't, also don't want to use choreographer because in this context, that is really not what this is. Um, so two maestros <clears throat> that is, um, has taught the community to also to, to dance. These are ceremonial dancers. And uh, I also uh, come from a family of uh, deep knowledge of traditional medicine, as well as um, um, agriculture and farming. Mm-hmm. 
and only because I come from this family or because I was born and raised in this community, I also received uh, the inheritance of my ancestors as a weaving and, uh, and with this deep knowledge around uh, the nature, um, textiles, and so forth. Wow. So it's not like your identity is not just based in, in what you're doing as far as your artistic output. It's something much bigger and deeper than that. Absolutely, because, <clears throat> and I know we don't hear so much of this, but I just share my personal experience. Mm -hmm. It is because um, when we think about weaving or we think about a cultural craft or cultural uh, or tradition, right? We often think that the only reason you do what you do because you were born in this tradition. And for me, it has not worked that way, that way because I am a product of migration. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I resumed my weaving and natural dyeing tradition, I had options. And uh, I, I recognize my passion for this type of art. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to do that, um, you have to have a passion. And because when a whole community does almost the same thing, and that is the only really choice you have, um, sometimes that's all you have to do. And that, that that's all the choice you have. But mm -hmm. for me, it is, I, I, it, it, it is something that I'm absolutely passionate about. It is something that I don't, it's just not a job for me or it's mm -hmm. just not a repetitive thing. It is most definitely a, 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 um, an art form that I use to share my emotion, that I use to communicate about my knowledge, my history, my ancestors' practice. So it could have been weaving and it could have probably been painting or it could have probably been other art medium that maybe I would have, I, I would have, Probably if it was something that I was exposed at a young age, that was something that um, made it may, maybe would have been, um, would have came back to me in an older age. And that is exactly what happened with me with weaving. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you actually, I guess, get started or become like educated within, within this um, craft or field? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, because I was born and raised in this particular family and in this uh, community, it, it was given to me. This is, uh, I, had the, I, I have to say that I, had, I have the privilege of being born with this art form. And this is something that I learned since a very young age. Since it, As far as I can remember, I was involved in helping my parents one aspect or another, it, there's certain chores that you do as a as a child, mm -hmm. and uh, is collecting few of the plants a lot more for medicine than for dyeing because by the time I was growing up, this traditional natural dye was already on the verge of extinction. Some of these element, like <clears throat> excuse me, some of the uh, very important element like indigo, was already gone many generations ago. It would already disappear in my entire community and maybe the entire country of Mexico. And uh, cochineal insect too, which is something that's very relevant to our history and our practice. It was already gone by the time I was growing up. But my oh. parents continue to use few plants to create their work. And uh, so I, I, I learned around those uh, practices and farming. And of course, um, I was also a shepherd. Uh, so that's actually how I discovered uh, the coach the color of the cochineal it's uh, uh cochineal insect color mm -hmm. um and and it's something that you learn just like i learned my language mm -hmm. it is so um i would say especially my age or my generation your first language is my um, uh, our native language mm -hmm. you're learning that but you're also learning to farm because you're helping your parents you're learning uh, the weaving because you're around it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You're learning the dyeing, whether it's chemical or natural dye, but you're exposed to those things. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's just amazing how like integrated it is within 
all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know how to say it. I think that that sort of stable learning, a kind of merging of learning and just, you know, being a person is something that's missing in a lot of cultures. And I think that that's really beautiful and a wonderful um, a way to grow up. It was definitely fun. Um, it was definitely something really interesting and that I'm really grateful to be born around mm-hmm. that. But also mm-hmm. at some point when I was already a teenager, it, it, was, it became just a work. That That's really interesting. At, at what point did you sort of come back around to it where you were like, oh, this is this is beyond just a chore, you know, because when you're a kid, you're exploring and it's like really new and fun. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, great, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. And so then when did it come back to you in a sense? Um, I left. Uh, and by the way, I started to weave uh, more formally and learn from my father when I was 12 years old. Mm. Okay. And uh, by the time I was 18, I, I, um, I migrated to where I live now in Ventura in California. And um, after uh, a break, many years, I was able, I, I had the opportunity to visit my family and in Oaxaca. That's when I figure out, that's when I discover my passion for weaving. Hmm. And that was a, a world of difference if I would have stayed and just um, focus on the work. Mm-hmm. And after I had this experience exposed to a diff- different uh, environment, different traditions, different way of life, uh, it gave me the opportunity to recognize um, the value as a native Zapotec and, uh, and help me to discover my calling, as my, father, my mother says it, my passion, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Huh. So, so you mentioned earlier that a lot of the um, plant-based dyes and dyeing techniques were kind of gone, basically. Did you, how, how did you bring those back around? You know, one of the things that I I noticed that by the time I was coming back, <clears throat> I came I re, or resumed my art practice, and this is about 15, 16 years ago. Um, it is something that I was, um, uh, or the natural, or the uh, the chemical dye in these mass produce, and also how the market, what the market demands, uh, cheaper and faster but also how the community is driven only by that, by mm-hmm. doing a quick demonstration for the tourist. Mm-hmm. But at the end, you're still using chemical dyes mm-hmm. and, uh, and how the realness um, and the value of our ancestors was already lost or yes, yes, mm-hmm. indeed was already lost. Those things, uh, it is part of my interest or was part of my interest and and the force and the energy for me to do what I do today. And uh, that was the first thing that I've noticed and that's something that I say, well, I want to reestablish. Well, not reestablish. I say I want to establish my studio. Mm-hmm. And in my studio, I am going to honor our cultural value as ancestor community the knowledge and wisdom of natural dying. But at the same time, I want to create a, a voice. I want to create an expression as an artist and not just as a uh, as a worker, as a weaver, as a, just something that's repetitive. For me, I wanted to um, share my vision with people, mm-hmm. with the world, through the designs, through the technique I'm creating and so forth. And... Um, and for that, obviously, has taken so many, so many years of not only finding an artistic style or an expression, but at the same time, um, doing tremendous amount of research, hmm. revitalizing the, the knowledge of using natural dye. First, and, and my, my studio has always been guided by my parents, who are uh, one of the elders in the community, as well as um, other, you know, family member and community member as part of my team, but always the basic reference 
of the natural dye came from my parents because they were they at one point fully um, practiced the natural dye tradition. So mm. from them is whom um, I learned the basic knowledge, and then from there on, I had to go experiment. I had to go research. I had to spend the time to um, revitalize this, and uh, that takes years and years to to be able to understand deeply uh, nature, and um, that included my residency in at the Smithsonian. Uh, mm-hmm. Research, doing some research in their collection as part of my fellowship uh, award in 2015. North Bennett Street School is still taking applications for all of their nine full-time training programs. The fall semester begins September 13th. View all of their programs from bookbinding to locksmithing to violin making at nbss.edu slash programs and learn how to apply and find financial aid options at nbss.edu slash admissions. Interested in registering for a class in rug making, natural dyeing, or weaving? As we've mentioned before, the John C. Campbell Folk School's classes in Brasstown, North Carolina are back. Browse their e-catalog online or request a print catalog at folkschool.org. Don't forget, there are scholarships aplenty. Email scholarships at folkschool.org to learn more or check out their website, folkschool.org. What are the, what are the spiritual dimensions uh, to your work and wh- why is that important to you? Well, when, when I think about my ancestors, these were people that were extremely spiritual people. Mm-hmm. These, these, these are, because I shouldn't say were, because we still exist today. But when I think about my elders and the uh, ancestors, it is an absolutely different way to be living and understanding the world compared to the Western Um it is, and it starts with, and, and these are some of the things that I think for me as a human being and, and as an artist, of course, <clears throat> has helped me to understand um, the values that I've learned from my parents, the cultural values I learned from them, and as and the family values as well. Mm-hmm. My parents would always say that nature is alive just like us. Mm-hmm. And when we're collecting plants or we're collecting wood for whatever reason, um, it is we're taking only what we need. And mm-hmm. to na- never hurt nature or just start harvesting the tree for no reason um, or to capitalize on, um, we it is absolutely not acceptable to do that because the plants are alive just like us. Mm-hmm. My my mother has a healing, a lot of her healing she does not only through the plants but also um, through the uh, water that's bring, that the creeks and rivers bring in from the mountains. And um, she always referred to as the water there is divine. The rain itself we say in, in our language we say Janisia, uh, meaning the divine rain. So there is a deep sacredness to nature itself. And for my ancestors, they believe that uh, everything that moved in this universe has a soul. When my parents um, harvest, this is, I remember very clearly, at a very young age, we helped my parents into harvest and and farm. And um, my dad dad or my mom, they both collect or separate the biggest and the most beautiful corn. Um, and puts them on the altar. <clears throat> and all the squash gets to be stored under the altar. And I I, um, I asked my dad one time why they do that, although I knew what that is, but I just want to hear from him. Mm-hmm. And he said that um, this is a way to thank the greater being for another year of harvesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that our ancestors started to domesticate a wild plant uh, uh, 6,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, um, the corn, beans, the squash 
has been one of the most important staple um, that has helped for us to exist till now as a native. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely these spiritual values that um, it has been uh, uh, drawn me deeply and this understanding of being and existing as a Zapotec or as a native <clears throat> Native American, um, those are the things that, uh, as a human being as well, um, that's how I'm connected to my work and my culture. So in what way, or what are some of the tools, I guess, that, or I guess the decisions that you make as you're, say, creating, um, you know, a piece of textile, as you're meditating it on these on these sort of concepts and as they're flowing through you into your work, there's just so much like meaning kind of built into these patterns. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about sort of how, I guess your use of pattern. The, um, the patterns themselves, um, many that are used today, um, are continue to hold meanings. Many of them were also exposed by this market that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, but for me, beyond just the meaning uh, or the the, um, the symbolism or the design itself, and a lot of these actually comes from the walls of one of the most sacred sites uh, in Oaxaca. It's called Mitla. Um, for me, it is... It is really about, as a human being, as artist, what your culture means to you, what corn means to me, mm-hmm. what the water, what the plants, what nature means to me, because that's one of the most accurate symbolism that you could ever give anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, because culture is evolving. And I can absolutely tell you that the cycle of life that we refer today, that was truly the cycle of life. That was truly the interpretation that my ancestors gave that cycle of life, for instance, right? So for me, um, I only, I, I not only look at the design itself and how the culture has used it, but also uh, the meaning that the elders has given it because that's how this tradition has been passed down and this information has passed down. Mm-hmm. And some of the really old uh, textiles that was not even woven in the type of loom I use now because this loom was brought to us by the Spanish. It was woven in a backstrap loom, and mm. it depicts um, dots that are linked together that, that the elders refer to as corn or as beans. Hmm. And when I think about that, how the sacredness of beans and corn are to my, for, to my parents and to the elder in the community, because these are the people that still holds the, the culture value and the knowledge closest to my ancestors. So when I talk about my work, I'm not only referring to it as what I learned from my uh, ancestors or from my parents or the elders in the community, but truly what it also means to me. Mm-hmm. And those are the things, that's how I, I, I start to mm-hmm. interpret my work and, and talk about a lot of the sacredness of the seeds, the corn, the dots that you see around my piece, my piece, especially in the traditional pieces, you see many dots there. That's for me, that represents the sacred seed, corn and beans, the cycle Mm. of life where each step represents each stage of our lives from the day we are born to the last day of our journey here in this world. Or the butterfly designs that um, it is a symbolism that represents uh, the journey from our soul in this worldly, uh, worldly life, world life, underworld into the spirit world. And it's a relation to the day of the dead. Yeah, mm. The Zapotec people believe that when someone passes, our soul goes to live in the spirit, in spiritual world and come back to visit us every 1st and 2nd of November for the day of the dead celebration. Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, what role do seasons play in your work? I mean, there's, there is that element with planting and, and the, the harvest, but then I would imagine it also 
um, has to do with how you're harvesting plant materials for dyes and insects, I guess, also. Can you talk about that? Well, every time you work with nature, there has to be not only a respect towards towards the material you're working for, but there's also has to be an understanding of, of the materials you're working with. And um, the understanding will come that, first of all, that nature, it's alive. That's at least has been in my case. So there is a lot of variables and there's a lot of uh, changes that happens with nature and the plants will not react or the insect or the fruit, whatever it may be, it's going to have some reaction with either uh, it was a good rainy season or there wasn't enough rain. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, it's going to react with some, with the soil where, where the plants grows. And um, so truly each piece that is created in my studio, it truly represents, uh, or, or it is truly an imprint of each season. Mm. It, you're going to have that fluctuation of where the, the, the plant or the source of uh, the color comes from. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have like frustrating times when you thought, you know, you had an expectation about a harvest and it didn't happen the way that you were hoping? No, because if if I were to get frustrated because of that, then then I don't think I still. Care. If I were to ever do that, then I would. Then at that point, I would have lost my my values mm-hmm. as an as a uh, Zapotec people because um, having variation or having a different outcome on things that is being you have to acknowledge that, and that and at that point you are. Uh, mindful of what, who uh, or the material what you're working with is a living being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, it, it, you know, my these information uh, or my work, I would say, it goes beyond the color itself, and it's a much more deeper understanding than mm-hmm. just creating color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the things you have dictate the need for that thing's companion. Got a journal? You'll need a writing utensil. Tennis racket? Gonna need some tennis balls and a cord. TV needs an audience. A tiara needs a pillow to rest on. But sometimes these objects shift in value based on perspective. What if the pillow were suddenly the centerpiece, with the tiara as an accent? What if chastity belts could have had frills and been more form-fitting? Our next guest probably could have helped out some of those poor souls in the Middle Ages, likely by making something of that sort, but then some kind of sneaky latch that they could be liberated from the contraption. Elizabeth Brim is an artist blacksmith, not to be confused with a blacksmith artist. The difference is here being the priority of artists as well as making sure no one thinks she's a blacksmith who literally forges blacksmiths. Metaphorically, she's done plenty of that, though, and inspired many outside her field as well. She sounds like my aunt, which made her instantly relatable. And yes, my aunt, not my aunt. It ain't aunt. But I'm from where that comes from, and so is she, and this one's definitely for y'all out there. Though y'all yinzers know y'all are always welcome here. After listening to her, I feel like she could have been a character in Steel Magnolias, too, which is fitting in lots of ways, but mainly because Elizabeth works with steel, or as she says, beats the hell out of it, contorting it into shapes people are accustomed to seeing on someone in some kind of parlor or at a ballet. Listening to her reminded me of an old commercial for a tire repair shop in my hometown that shows this guy rolling a tire going, woo-hoo, just having fun. People have been rolling tires in the larger sense a long time. People have been smithing a long time too. Doesn't mean everyone keeps it fresh, keeps it new, makes it fun. Join us next episode for a hollering good time. Elizabeth has that way with stories where you see how they all touch upon each other to help make one another. And her craftiness will pump you up like the firmest pillow you can think of, somehow filled with laughing gas. 
what what about weaving satisfies something that you don't think you would get from another job or career? And I know you've answered a little bit <laughs> about this question already, uh, but what are some of the challenges maybe? Uh, well, for me is uh, working in uh, any other job besides art, uh, then it would truly be a job. Being an artist, it's not a job for me. Although there is a lot of labor intensive takes into harvesting, into planting, into washing the yarn, into so much, so much labor intensive work mm -hmm. that takes days or weeks just to be able to obtain one color. But for me, that's not where I'm not thinking about work at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I'm, I get tired and, and, you know, it takes a lot of work, but in my mind, it's, I'm not looking at it as work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, I'm creating something extremely beautiful that I hope people will love. Yeah. This is sort of related, but maybe I guess slightly, the nuances are slightly different, but I always tell people that I have to work really hard in order to not get a job. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, it takes a discipline. Just look at it as, uh, you know, uh, the greatest, um, or anybody that's in sport, that it's maybe that sings, you know, they sing beautifully or they might be successful, not because they never put the work in it. In fact, mm -hmm. they work so much more than maybe anybody else, anybody else that has a regular job. Um, our work, it is 24-7 and it takes tremendous education and discipline mm -hmm. in order to do what you do. So when you look at it that way, um, we work twice as much of anybody that has a five nine to five job. Definitely. Well, and you, I mean, you've mentioned a lot about how these things are sort of, I guess, in a sense, gifted from one generation to the other. Is that now happening with you and uh, between you and the next generation? I know that we've been in touch with, um, with your son through email and stuff and setting up the interview. Is he also continuing on this tradition or, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. My kids are exposed to my work, and that is actually one of the reasons that my uh, I opened my studio here, where I live in California, and I still maintain uh, my studio in Oaxaca as well. But this one, the studio here, it continues to serve for me to create uh, my work, and I work here every day, and especially during COVID because I haven't been able to travel to Oaxaca yet. But another important reason for that, it's also um, for my kids to be able to uh, be exposed a day-to-day base to what I do. And, um, you know, for me, when I think about preserving tradition, I don't expect and how, in my opinion, how you could preserve tradition, it is not so much about technicality of what I do. It is more about the value and understand who are you. Mm. If you don't know who, who, who are you, then uh, how you could actually find your passion, right? Yeah. So for me, it's about that is sharing the values, uh, the cultural values and the values of my work uh, to my kids and being exposed to it. They might be able to choose any other medium. They might not be end up being an artist themselves. And it's okay because the tradition or culture, it's evolving all the time, especially when we're talking about migration. So it is such a unique way of being or preserving something um, when, when I think about it in that sense. So my, my son, who are you guys, are being in contact with David. <clears throat> He's a very talented uh, writer, uh, young man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know what his career will end up being, but I hope these values, this tradition will definitely resonate to what he's going to do in the future. And that's how, for me, that's how you preserve traditions. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. You mentioned migration, and I was wondering if you could speak to how that influences uh, your life and work for us. 
Yeah, you know, uh, when, when, when I think about migration, it's something that we talk so much about and it's something that we don't talk a lot about at the same time. Hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, mm -hmm. we think of migration that people are just moving because just whatever reason it may be. Mm -hmm. And uh, and for me, migration uh, it is has more of a two phase, uh, or it has more of a two uh, chapter to it. And I'm talking about as native of American, a native of, of these continent that's called the Americas. Mm -hmm. So uh, you do have definitely a border. You do have two countries that we're speaking of right now: Mexico and United States, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Uh, the influence of these two cu culture has obviously enriched my life tremendously um, by me migrating. That's why I'm able to speak to you in English right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is something that um, influences in a way that for me at least has not only enriched my life, but also has enriched Uh, my art as an artist, uh, it, it was an opportunity for me to be able to be exposed to a different world that I was never um, exposed before. Uh, I come when I moved to the United States. It is um, I, I didn't re I wasn't really I was not exposed to the city much because mm. I grew up in a, such a small community. Mm -hmm. But the change was so drastic. We're moving now into a a, um, a different country that you know <clears throat> that has a, a different um, tradition or different way of life and understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. So those things is absolutely on everything I do today. Specifically, mm -hmm. if I'm talking about as an artist, with not those these two worlds. I don't think my art would be to where it's at. I don't think my studio would be to where it's at. And I don't think um, maybe the natural diet tradition would have not been such of important in my work, right? Hmm. Um, these are the things that had to happen in order for me to do what I do. And uh, it is a way to express a, such ancestral knowledge and wisdom and sacredness of the work that I do. But at the same time... Um, the uh, more in uh, urban America, this such more uh, simple uh, minimalism, um, the uh, California uh, modern architect <clears throat> has influenced in my work. Um, mm. And just this way of life, the, this complex of being between speaking to my parents in Zapotec because they don't speak a lot of Spanish. But at the same time, I turn around and talk to my kids or to anybody in English I order my food in English, but I'm also talking to, you know, my, my family about the food that I'm eating in Zapotec. I am a weaver that with, with such a, this knowledge here at my studio, um, where you come to my studio, it is such an energy that <clears throat> it, it, I for at least for me, or what I wish to, to for people to um, experience where they come to my studio, more of a, a spiritual connection to the um, my ancestors and the energy of that. But at the same time, I step outside of the studio and I'm in a city, you know? Mm. Um, right. So these are the things that helps to shape things extremely beautiful, um, which at the same time, it is extremely complex because other families or other people that might not have these opportunity that I have of having these two cultures. Um, and maybe, um, and I'm not saying my culture is better or anyone else that doesn't come from this background that doesn't have the opportunity I have, but I'm saying, I guess for me is if I just concentrate on that, it is I've learned to embrace both worlds, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I've learned to, um, be part of both community and trying to understand both of this community. And that's what you see in my work. And the yeah. second part of migration, <clears throat> when I think about the Americas as a, as a whole, am I really an immigrant? If the, if the plants that I use to create my dyes also grows in this part of the world that I live in, mm -hmm. what does that make me then? Mm -hmm. you know 
So in many ways too, it is just really in our, in, in, for me at least when I think about my work and who I am, it is, my head is my house and, and, and my work honors and pay homage to the land itself. And it celebrates the people who now is called this land home. The Oak Spring Garden Foundation's 2022 residency and fellowship applications are due July 15th. These are opportunities for artists of all kinds, researchers, and writers working on projects that relate to plants, landscapes, and gardens. These are funded and residential at the beautiful Oak Spring Garden Foundation estate in Upperville, Virginia. Check out osgf.org to learn more. This episode drops July 6th, and the deadline is July 15th, so get on it. Once again, that's osgf.org. North House Folk School teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior. Courses for this fall and winter are now open for registration. Rug making and fiber arts of all sorts are taught alongside everything from blacksmithing to woodworking. Visit northhouse.org for more information. I was curious to know if if your practice and um, I guess kind of the success of your studio has helped to Im- bring more of that back to Oaxaca. Definitely, that has ex- brought tremendous opportunity for the community. Tremendous opportunity. When I started 16 years ago, when I resumed these art, or these um, revitalizing the natural dye, there was um, there was not a market for it, hmm. and hmm. and it's such a struggle and it's such a hard work to be able to re educate um, th- the world, right? Wow. You know, yeah. the people that comes and appreciate Oaxaca to re-educate them that natural diet, it is a whole different thing that they've never seen before. <clears throat> and although there was already few people that still has the knowledge and are also trying to do the same thing, um, but there wasn't a market that, was, uh, that could support these art forms at the beginning. Now, it seems like uh, the world itself, there is this interest in natural dye and farm to table and real food, mm-hmm. organic food. So there is this interest now. So people are looking for, for this type of um, work. And consequently, uh, when we're talking about community, if a community start to see that there's money to be made or anybody sees that there's money to be made and <laughs> then they move with the wind. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, but definitely um, it is important to, uh, to, to mention that, that there's definitely a revitalizing um, natural diet tradition in, in our communities in Oaxaca. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. So, are there any textile artists or types of textile artists that you admire? Um, and then how about maybe outside of textiles? Is there anyone you admire outside of that? You know, um, when I think about, and, and you know, I would love to just um, add this before maybe I answer your question. Um, when I think about my practice as an artist myself, um, and this is obviously relate to your question. When I think about myself, I think about myself. Of course, I am Zapotec before being in Mexican or American. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about me as individual Zapotec, I think about myself as not just belong to Oaxaca. I belong to the Americas. Mm-hmm. You know, so this notion of. Uh, just Oaxaqueño, right, uh, or an American. Uh, for me, it is more. Uh, my understanding is, I am indigenous of the Americas. Mm. This could be mean that I live in uh, Oaxaca, Chiapas, uh, United States, New Mexico, or in California. I am indigenous American, right, and with that that obviously opens up 
a, a huge, huge um, uh, exposure to <clears throat> to the world and and meet so many people that has the same values that I do, that are doing similar work that I do either within the textile uh, art form or other art form. And I'm speaking maybe within um, in a, in a, in a uh, tradition context. So when I think about that too, I also think about, I also belong to that community, to a, mm. to a world community. Mm. Um, um, and, and of course, with being exposed to um, this community, you get to meet people that are also not only has similar practice to what you do, but that are truly committed to, um, to the work that you're doing, to the work that they're doing, and, uh, and that also understands the struggle and also understands the, um, the importance of addressing some issues that comes along with uh, tradition, that comes along with all sorts of things that, that maybe a, 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 a tradition or um, community or indigenous community could be uh, facing mm -hmm. or dealing or trying to um, address. And um, one of my really good friend is uh, Abubakar Fofana. He is a, uh, for me, he's also a mentor and um, he is an indigo master from Mali, but also mm -hmm. has a very similar life that I do. He's also split his time in France. Mm. And um, beyond textile and beyond art, my absolutely number one, um, how do I say, a uh, reference to the work that I do or a fan, if you, <laughs> if, if they, <laughs> that's the question, <laughs> are my are my parents? Oh yeah, they they are the guidance of the work that I do. They are the, the artists that I admire so much, mm -hmm. and uh, and even they don't never look at themselves as artists, but for me they are, and uh, mm -hmm. they are the first people that I that I that 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 I have been influenced by as as artists. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, what what inspires what inspires you outside of weaving and and dyeing and that part of you? You know, I, I guess I weave because again, you know, I come from this tradition, and it's something that I was really exposed to right in a very young age, but. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest with you, and this is a reference to what I mentioned earlier that I come from musician family and I come from dancers and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think just art overall. Mm. For me, architect, it is something that I absolutely love and I absolutely, I think if I would have not been a textile artist, I would have probably be building homes. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. An architect. And I mean, I, I love the movement uh, um, of architecture. I love um, the texture. I love the minimalism, modernism. I love mm -hmm. how that is an art form that could really relate to the ancestral uh, architecture. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's, uh, I love, uh, so many arts I'm really interested in just to be able to like meditate about things, about forms, about ways, about, you know, um, maybe, uh, how the color should go, where mm -hmm. certain things should be placed or, you know, just, just these kind of things. I guess I would just say that uh, anything that has to be with creative thinking, Mm, um, mm -hmm. I'm really drawn to those things, but I think, I think architect for sure. It's something that I'm really, um, uh, it's really close to my heart. And I think because it is probably, uh, the second art form that I was exposed to, uh, it was, it was oh. architect here in the United States. And, uh, aside from the type of art I grew up with. Huh. Do you mean like you were exposed to it just because it was so it, there was such a drastic contrast between 
where you had grown up and then kind of uh, being thrown into the heart of a city? N not at all. I was exposed to it because I was a construction worker. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> oh, oh. And, and because, and, and when you are, for me at least, because uh, even though at that point uh, I wasn't, I didn't, uh, when I left the community, I left everything behind. I was running away from, from art, from the culture, from all this, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go U.S. and, you know, work and, you know, just American dream that we all talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, and weaving was not in my mind to ever even thought about going back mm. to or going back mm -hmm. to my community or to my roots. I was I was just, you know, looking for other opportunities, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you have this inner, um, not not as a weaver, but just this creative mind, I guess, mm -hmm. um, when you are born with that or you were exposed to that, um, there's certain things that you're drawn to. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was architecture. Uh, huh. I wasn't drawn to, and I'm not talking about maybe the housing track that we get to see <laughs> in the States. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's definitely homes that uh, is clearly an artist that was behind designing of that home. Mm -hmm. You know, there yeah. is definitely thought about how the sun get, goes into the home. There is yeah. how, how the house was positioned, um, maybe how the air flows into it. Uh, but for me, obviously, before I understand this, it is the aesthetic part of it. Mm -hmm. It is the movement, as I was mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. And, it, it, you know, the texture, the colors, the light that mm -hmm. comes inside. Those are mm -hmm. the things that I was really drawn by. Yeah. When I <clears throat> used to... Um, I used to work in construction, delivering concrete. So I get to go in so many houses, uh, delivering concrete every day. Wow. Mm -hmm. so every now and then you get to see incredibly, incredibly homes. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I was extremely uh, drawn by those, by, by, by them. <laughs> in, uh, the structure of it, the movement mm -hmm. that it had or that, that they have, the colors that it was used, um, if I get, if it's a glass, then I, you know, glass uh, home that you're able to see what's inside of the home or at least part of it. You see the furniture, the color, and, and, mm -hmm. and something that has to do with minimalism, mm -hmm. uh, but also powerful. Those are the mm -hmm. things that really caught my attention. And, and, and the mm -hmm. California, you know, it, it is basically later on finding out that it, it is the, uh, you know, the California modern architecture. Mm. And uh, also the a um, little bit of mid-century modern, right? Mm. If I if I had the money to have a glass house in California, and someone was able to look through my walls, they would just see a bunch of your weavings on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's an aspiration of mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mine too. Some, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, my aspiration is to have one of your pieces. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if someone wants to see more of their work, where can they find you? Uh, they definitely can visit my website. It is porfiriogutierrez.com mm -hmm. or uh, on my Instagram, it is porfiriogutierrezstudio. And that's on Instagram as um, those are some easy places to find me. Or here in California, I am in Ventura. In California, um, here's where my studio is. I am inside uh, Bell Arts Factory. This is a uh, an art complex that used to be a uh, mattress factory, and it was turned into an art uh, studio and center <clears throat> about 16 years ago. So this is where my home is now. And... Uh, this is just an hour north of LA and just about 30 minutes um, uh, south of Santa Barbara, Ojai. So I'm really, I'm, I'm in the coast. So that's where you'll find me as well. Cool. Great. Well, and also if you do visit um, 
the website, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. We've been getting those updates and I've really enjoyed keeping up with what you're doing. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, on that note as well, um, Porfirio, thank you so, so much for joining us and sharing um, all about your work and life. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, I really appreciate for giving me the opportunity to share my work to your audience. And uh, mm-hmm. I hope to one day be able to soon be able to um, uh, get together uh, in person and uh, mm. hopefully I'll get to visit you guys one day or you visit me uh, oh, yeah, or your yeah. audience and we'd love to meet you guys in person. So thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. A uh, huge thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us for this conversation, as well as to everyone who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. And this episode, we'd like to extend an extra special thanks to Robert and Ula for joining us on Patreon. Every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and raising money for craft scholarships. Also, thank you to our sponsors, North Bennett Street School in Massachusetts, John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina, North House Folk School in Minnesota, and Oak Spring Garden Foundation in Virginia. However, every way to support the show is to just leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we really appreciate the feedback. And if you'd like to see more images of guest work or stay up to date on other happenings, such as our giveaway with John C. Campbell Folk School, <laughs> please follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast. And if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio of that podcast page. You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi. 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 Uh, And as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for help with production, and to Justin Williams, who writes those little tidbits introducing the next guest every episode. And speaking of which, coming up next, we have an interview with artist blacksmith Elizabeth Brim. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, Here's the story of the 12 princesses. Thanks again for joining us. See you next time. And so the the shoes, the first shoes I made were inspired by that fairy tale, the 12 dancing princesses. Oh, cool. Most people are familiar with that, but I'll just give you a recap. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there were 12 princesses. This king had 12 daughters and they all lived in the same, um, they lived in this part of the castle and every night his daughters would, would dance their shoes into tatters. They had these, you know, beautiful little silk dancing shoes Mm -hmm. and every morning their shoes would be in tatters and they would get new ones. And so um, the King didn't know what was going on, but what the, what they were doing was they were escaping and they were going down this beautiful river where the, trees were made out of silver and gold and they would go and they would meet up with these handsome princes and dance all night long and then come back to the castle. And so the king asked for somebody to come and find out what his daughters were doing. And so this guy met some witch on the way there and she gave him a cloak to make himself invisible and so he did and he made himself invisible and he followed the princesses and found out what they were doing and turned them in to the king what a turd <laughs> no, he, he ratted them out and then the king gave him and uh gave him the permission to marry whichever one of his daughters he wanted to marry. Oh, that's so much salt on the wound. (laughs) And I can't remember which one he selected, but the the youngest daughter was kind of prominent in the story in my recollection. But so, so he chose one of those 12 princesses to get married to and put an end to their fun (laughs) But I thought, well, if I made indestructible shoes for these princesses, 
that they could party forever. <laughs> <And> I, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>